All praise to the Most High God and the Holy Spirit and the Messiah and the angels that protect us. Um, I started this, um, I restarted this this segment of my podcast a couple of months ago and it's entitled Reparations, When Was America Great Again? So today we are going to talk about several massacres that happened in the United States. If you go back in my podcast, I've done several episodes. So I am back after a month off and um, we're going to get back into these segments. And the reason why I do these segments is to not um, depress people to make them sad or to um, put negative information out there. I'm doing the most high led me to do these segments because it's the truth. And although this country claims that they don't owe us anything and they haven't repented of our sins, spiritually, you know that it's something that they must do. And we don't need to gather committees to, for you to understand and for it to be explained for you to pay reparations to the foundation of black Americans and you need to pay what you owe, as Riley says in the boondocks. You need to pay what you owe and you know you need to pay what you owe. But you keep using the same tactics to lie and deceive and distract the people. But the Most High led me to do these segments in order for people to understand and have a greater understanding of what has not only happened to our people in this country, what continues to happen to our people in this country, and to give you, since you want an explanation, to give you the true facts about why foundational Black Americans and the descendants of slaves are owed reparations. So, continuing on. We're going to start with East St. Louis. East St. Louis rapes riots of 1917. A hundred Negroes shot and burned, clubbed to death in East St. Louis race war riots. I have done my research. Sometimes I go to Wikipedia. Um, I do blackpass.org, so shout out to them. So here we go. The city of East St. Louis, Illinois, was the scene of one of the bloodiest race riots in the 20th century. Racial tensions began to increase in February 1917 when 470 African-American workers were hired to replace white workers who had gone on strike against the aluminum ore company. The violence started on May 28, 1917, shortly after a city council meeting was called. Angry white workers lodged formal complaints against black migration migrations to the mayor of East St. Louis. <clears throat> After the meeting had ended, news of an attempted robbery of a white man by an armed black man began to circulate through the city. As a result of this news, white mobs formed and wrapped through downtown, beating all African Americans who were found. The mobs also stopped trolleys and streetcars pulling black passengers out and beating them on the street and sidewalks. Illinois governor Frank O. Loden eventually called the National Guard to quell the violence and the mob slowly dispersed. The May 28th disturbance 
were only a prelude to the violence that erupted on July 2nd, 1917. After the May 28th riots, little was done to prevent any further problems. No precautions were taken to ensure white job security or to grant union recognition. So it was important to, to protect white job security, but not the jobs of the black, the black men who were working. Listen to what people say. This further increased the already high level of hostilities towards African-Americans. No reforms were made in police force, which did little to quell the violence in Maine. Governor Loudon ordered the National Guard out of the city on June 10th, leaving residents of East St. Louis in an uneasy state of high racial tension. On July 2nd, 1917, the violence resumed. Men, women, and children were beaten and shot to death. Around six o'clock that evening, white mobs began to set fire to houses of black residents. Residents had chosen between burning alive in their homes or run out of the burning house only to be met by gunfire. In other parts of the city, white mobs began to lynch African-Americans against the backdrop of burning buildings. As darkness came and the National Guard returned, the violence began to wane, but did not come to a complete stop. In response to the rioting, the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People sent W.E.B. DeWolf and Martha Green to investigate the incident. Investigate what? What was to be investigated? They compiled a report entitled Massacre at East St. Louis, which was published in the NAACP magazine, The Crisis. The NAACP also staged a silent protest march in New York City in response to the violence Thousands of well-dressed African-Americans marched down Fifth Avenue showing their concern about the events in East St. Louis. The Universal Negro Improvement Association, UNLA, UNIA, also responded to the violence. On July 8, 1917, the UNIA's president, Marcus Garvey, said, This is a crime against the laws of humanity. It is a crime against the laws of the nation. It is a crime against nature and a crime against the gods, the God of all mankind. He also believed that the entire riot was a part of a larger conspiracy against African-Americans who migrated north in search of a better life. The whole thing, my friends, is a bloody farce and that the police and soldiers did not to stem the, did nothing to stem the murder thirst of the mob in a conspiracy on the part of the civil authorities to condone the acts of the white mob against Negroes. A year after the riot, a special committee formed by the United States House of Representatives launched an investigation into police action during the East St. Louis riots. Investigators found that the National Guard and also the East St. Louis Police Force had not acted adequately during the riots, revealing that the police often fled from the scene of murder and arson. Some even fled from station houses and refused to answer calls for help. The investigation resulted in the indictment of several members of the East St. Louis Police Force. Our next story is uh, about the Elaine race riots in 1919, Elaine, Arkansas riot of 1919. One of the last of the major riots of the Red Summer of 1919 the so-called race riots in Elaine, Arkansas, was in fact a racial massacre. Though exact numbers were unknown, it is estimated that over 200 African Americans were killed along with five whites during the white hysteria of a pending insurrection of black sharecroppers. The violence, terror, 
and concerted effort to drive African Americans out of Phillips County. Arkansas was so jarring that Ida B. Wells, the founder of the National Association for Advancement of Colored People, published a short book on the riot in 1920. It was also widely reported in African American newspapers like the Chicago Defender and generated several public campaigns to address the fallout. On the night of September 30, 1919, approximately 100 African Americans, mostly sharecroppers, on the plantation of white landowners attended a meeting of the Progressive Farmers and Household Union of America at a church in Hopspur, a small community in Phillips County, Arkansas. They hoped to organize to obtain better payments for their cotton crops. Aware of white fears of communist influence on blacks, the union posted armed guards around the church to prevent disruption and infiltration. During the meeting, three white men pulled up to the front of the church. One of the men asked the guards, going coon hunting boys. Gunfire erupted after the guards made no response. Through sharp debates exist as to who first fired first. The guards killed W.A. Atkins, a security officer from the Missouri Pacific Railroad and injured Charles Pratt, the deputy sheriff. The next morning, an all-white posse went to arrest the subjects. Though they encountered little opposition from the black community, the fact that blacks outnumber whites 10 to 1 in this area of Arkansas resulted in great fear of the an insurrection. The concerns, white formed a mob numbering up to a thousand armed men, many of whom came from the surrounding countries and as far away as Mississippi and Tennessee. Upon reaching the lane, the mob began killing blacks and ransacking their homes. As words of the attack spread throughout the African-American community, some black residents fled while others armed themselves in defense. The mob then turned its attention to disarming those blacks who fought back. See, that's the thing. Society, and Tariq Lashie spoke on this, society would like to believe that we ran. Not all of us ran. We had some black men and black women that were soldiers and children who fought back and wasn't going to just let you. Y'all started the fight. Y'all were wrong. But this is still continuing on to this day. Meanwhile, local white newspapers further, once again, inflamed tensions by reporting that they were planned black uprisings. By October 2nd, U.S. Army troops arrived in Elaine and the white mobs began to disperse. Federal troops rounded up and placed several blacks in temporary stockades, where there were reports of torture. Where there were reports of torture. The men were not released until their white employees vouched for them. There was also considerable evidence that many of the soldiers sent to quell the violence engaged in the systematic killing of the black residents. I believe that. In the end, 122 blacks, but no whites were charged by the Phillip County's grand jury for crimes related to the white. Are we surprised? Their, count or their court appointed lawyers did little in their defense. Are we surprised? Despite the investigation and involvement of the NAACP, the first 12 men tried for first degree murder were convicted and sentenced to death. As a result, 65 others entered plea bargains and accepted, see that was the plan. The plan was to invent fear so that they would accept plea bargains. Um, accepted plea bargains and accepted up to 21 years for second degree murder led by black attorney Scripto Africanus Jones, I think that's how you say his name, the NAACP and other civil rights groups worked towards retrials and release of the Elaine 12. Eventually, they won their release, with the last of the 12 set free on January 14, 1925.
This next story is the election massacre of 1874 or coup of 1874 took place on election day, November 3rd, 1874. New Eufaula, I don't know how to say that. It's E-U-F-A-U-L-A, Alabama in Barbara County. Freeman comprised a majority of the population and have been electing Republican candidates to office. Members of an Alabama chapter of the White League and paramilitary groups supported the Democratic Party, drive to regain conservative political power in the county and state, using firearms to ambush black Republicans at the polls. In Eufaula, members of the White League killed an estimate of 15 to 40 black voters and wounded 17 while driving away more than a thousand unarmed black people at the polls in attacking the polling place in Spring Hill. The league effectively hijacked the elections. They turned all Republicans out of office and Democrat candidates took a majority of the office up for election. Does this sound um, does this sound familiar to my audience? The background. The White League had formed in 1874 as an insurgent white Democrat paramilitary group in Grant Parish and nearby and nearby parishes on the Red River of the South in Louisiana. The League was founded by members of the white militia who had committed the Colfax Massacre in Louisiana, 1873. I think I already did, yeah, I already did a, um, a podcast about the Colfax Massacre, killing numerous blacks in order to turn out Republicans from parish office. As part of the dispute, 1872 election, historians such as George Rabb consider groups such as the White League and Red Shirts as a military arm of Democrat Party. Their members worked openly to disrupt Republican meetings and attack and intimidate voters to suppress black voting. They counted press attention rather than operating secretly, as had the Ku Klux Klan. Chapters spread to Alabama and other states in the Deep South. A similar similar paramilitary group was the Red Shirts, which originated in Mississippi and became active in the Carolinas. Both paramilitary groups contributed to the Democrat regaining control in the state legislature in the late 1870s. The Red Shirts were still active in the 1890s and were implicated in the Wilmington insurrection of 1898 in North Carolina. The Legacy Due to the actual and threatening violence by the White League, black voters began to stay away from the polls in Barbara County. They no longer they no longer voted in sufficient numbers to retain a majority of Republican office holders. White conservative Democrats continued to intimidate black voters through the late 19th century, especially after the Populist Republican Alliance elected some fusion candidates in the Deep South, as well as local Republican officials in many states. In 1875, Mississippi Democrats also used widespread intimidation to control local elections, which became known as the Mississippi Plan. Such violence was adopted by chapters in other cities and counties. Democrats regained control of Alabama and other state legislators. Reconstruction ended with the withdrawal of federal troops as a part of a compromise to elect Rumford B. Hayes. It's a sad case of events that they're trying to um, continue to do that to this day. Our next story is about the Memphis riots of 1866. In the late afternoon of May 1st, 1866, 
long broiling tensions between the residents of southern Mississippi, Tennessee, erupted into a three-day riot known as the Memphis Riot of 1866. The riot began when the white police officer attempted to arrest a black ex-soldier and an estimate 50 blacks showed up to stop the police from jailing him. Accounts vary as to who began the shooting, but the altercation that ensued quickly involved more and more of the city. The victims initially were only black soldiers, but the violence quickly spread to other blacks living just south of Memphis, who were attacked while in their homes. Schools and churches were destroyed. White Northerners who worked as missionaries and school teachers in black schools were also targeted. In an attempt to restore order, U.S. Army Commander George Stoneman ordered the black soldiers of the 3rd United States Color Heavy Artillery Regiment back to Fort Pickering, just outside the city, and they obeyed nonetheless. The violence continued throughout the night as the target now became the black civilians in the city. Memphis police officers and firemen openly participated in the violence and looting, and as a result, the city's black citizens could not count on them to stop the attacks or put out the fires in the African-American neighborhoods. The conflict stretched into a second day when Memphis Mayor John Park refused to request state and federal assistance. On the afternoon of the third day, General Stoneman declared martial law and sent black and white troops into the city to reestablish order. Within a month, a congressional committee arrived to investigate the riot. The investigation and interviews were thorough but the report was controlled by radical Republicans in Congress and used to gain support for reconstruction policies. The national impact of the report was the rapid endorsement of the 14th Amendment to the Constitution, making all ex-slaves citizens and increasing of a Republican majorities in Congress in the November 1866 elections. The report sought to show the vulnerability of Southern Blacks immediately after the end of the Civil War, but it targeted Irish Southerners as the majority threat and opposed to white Southerners in general. The report blamed the overwhelmingly Irish police force of Memphis, as well as the black Irish competition for manual labor jobs for the underlying tensions that led to the conflict, yet in vir vir yet it virtually ignored the non-Irish whites who participated in the rioting and the role of black soldiers who before the fighting had been given responsibility for patrolling much of the city. The authority given to the black soldiers disturbed and discomforted many of the Memphis white citizens who preferred that the newly freed slaves retain subordinate roles in their cities. By the end of May 3rd, Memphis black community had been devastated. 46 blacks had been killed, two whites died in the conflict, one as a result of an accident and another a policeman. Because of a self-inflicted gunshot, there were five rapes and 285 people were injured. Over 100 houses and buildings burned down as a result of the riot and the neglect of the firemen. No arrests were made. History repeats itself. And the funny thing is, you have to answer. You have to answer for your actions. Our last story for today will be the New Orleans Massacre of 1866. I want I want to ask y'all, 
why do we need a committee to explain reparations? And this is why the most head, most high led me to do these stories. There's no explanation. You need to repent for what you have done because you have benefited off the fact of what your ancestors have done, the massacres they committed, walking in people's homes that they built and they earned, stealing them their things, killing them, raping them. You, you got to answer for what you've done, the blood that you have spilled on this land. The New Orleans massacre, also known as the New Orleans race riot, occurred on July 30th, 1866. While the riot was typical of numerous racial conflicts during Reconstruction, the incident had special significance. It galvanized national opposition to the moderate Reconstruction policies of President Andrew Johnson and ushered in much more sweeping Congressional Reconstruction in 1867. The riot took place outside the Mechanics Institute in New Orleans as black and white delegates attended the Louisiana Constitutional Convention. The convention had reconvened because the Louisiana state legislator had recently passed the Black Codes and refused to extend voting rights to black men. Also on May 12, 1866, four years of Union Army and Port Martial Law ended a Mayor John T. Monroe, who had headed city government before the Civil War, was reinstated as acting mayor. Monroe had been an active supporter of the Confederacy. As a delegation of 130 black New Orleans residents marched behind the U.S. flag toward the Mechanics Institute, Mayor Monroe organized and led a mob of ex-Confederates, white supremacists, and members of the New Orleans police force to the Institute to block their way. The mayor claimed their intent was to put down any unrest that may come from the convention, but the real reason was to prevent the delegates from meeting. As the delegation came to within a couple of blocks of the Institute, shots were fired, but the group was allowed to proceed to the meeting hall. Once they reached the institution, the police and white mob members attacked them, beating some of the marchers while others rushed inside the building for safety. Now the police and mob surrounded the Institute and opened fire on the building, shooting indiscriminately into the windows. Then the mob rushed into the building and began to fire into the crowd of delegates. When the mob ran out of ammunition, they were beaten back by the delegates. The mob left the building, regrouped and returned, breaking down the doors and again firing on the mostly unarmed delegates. After the firing continued, some delegates attempted to flee or surrender. Some of those who surrendered, mostly blacks, were killed on the spot. Those who ran were chased as they killed, as the killing spread over several blocks around the institute. By this point, both the rioters and victims, including people who were never at the Institute, African-Americans were shot on the street or pulled off of streetcars to be summarily beaten or killed. By the end of the massacre, at least 200 Black Union War veterans, 200 Black War Union veterans were killed, including 40 delegates at the convention. Altogether, 238 people were killed and 46 were wounded. The riots' repercussions extended far beyond New Orleans. Northerners, angry over the violence, helped the Republican Party take control of the U.S. House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate in the congressional elections of 1866. The Republicans controlled Congress, subsequently passed the Reconstruction Act 
1867, a series of measures that called for army occupation of 10 former Confederate states and measures that ensured voting rights for African Americans. Meanwhile, martial law was immediately reimposed in New Orleans after the riots and Mayor Monroe and other city officials were forcibly removed from office for their part in the massacre. Ancestors, we love you. We know that you sacrificed your life and we know that you were fighting for the right thing. And we ask for the Most High to cover your spirit, all your spirits, men, women, and children, and all the spirits of your descendants. We are out here fighting for what's right and what is owed to you. And the Most High is answering the call in this very moment. So we pray for your families and your descendants. And we appreciate your sacrifice. Our people build themselves. They pull themselves up by their bootstraps. And I'm tired of y'all using that lame ass saying. I have proven over and over again in these segments that we are resilient people. We are strong people. We are the people of the most high. We are the original man. We know how to be resilient. We know how to fight. We know how to stand tall and have no fear of nothing but the most high. And we honor those who lost their lives behind ignorance and injustice and white supremacy. And we will no longer entertain this lie that y'all continue to tell about coming up with excuses, lame as ignorant excuses about the reason why you shouldn't pay reparations. Pay what you owe until you repent and pay what you owe and restore what you took. It will never be right in this country. The blood spilled in this country has to be answered for. But we salute our ancestors whose lives were sacrificed. You all have a blessed day. I hope you enjoyed these segments. Um, if, what I mean by enjoy is understanding our history, um, understanding how we built this country and how so many of our people lives were sacrificed and harmed for this and i ask you to continue to do your research and use your voice to speak up for what's right